Chapter 3 of The Gargoyle by Greya Lespina. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Ben Tucker. Chapter 3 Behind the Arras. Despite his intention to remain awake, the artist caught himself on the point of dozing more than once as the night wore on. When a light tap sounded on his door, then he was sure for a moment that he had only imagined it, and looked at his watch with the electric torch, not wishing to turn on even the shaded electric night lamp. It was half-past one o'clock, and the rap on his door was no dream, for it came again, timidly, yet persistently. Luke crossed the room and listened. Again the tap. With one hand in his pocket where the automatic lay, he unlocked the door and very quietly swung it ajar. A dark figure stood in the flickering light of the corridor candles, which contrasted oddly with the luxurious appointments, electric and otherwise, of his apartment. As he opened the door cautiously, this figure moved toward him with a slight rustle of starched garments. It was a woman who came in at the door, pushing it shut behind her. Luke touched the electric button. The room was flooded with light. She stood without shrinking, her eyes narrowed at the sudden blaze of illumination. An elderly woman with faded blue eyes, fine features that must once have been very lovely, but were now lined heavily with the wrinkles of secret anxieties and apprehensions. Her dress was simple, dark, nondescript, but her apron and the cap resting on her straightly drawn gray hair were snowy and starched, modern to the last extreme, evidently an upper servant. "'You are the unmarried young man,' she whispered, one finger warning him to keep his voice low. Luke nodded, smooth brow contracted, gray eyes darkening with puzzlement. "'I am Alden,' the woman continued, still in that low, half-frightened manner. "'Miss Fane's nurse. That is, I was her nurse. I have been her personal maid for some years, since she grew up from the baby I first cared for.' "'Who is Miss Fane?' "'She is the adopted daughter of Madame Fane, Mr. Porter. "'It is about her that I have come to you, "'risking God only knows how much, "'to get your help for her sake. "'If the master discovers that I have been to you, "'he will dispose of me somehow,' she said darkly. "'At any rate, he would see to it "'that I could not help my little Sybil "'in this moment of dire need, Mr. Porter.' "'She laid her worn hand on Luke's arm appealingly. Do not trust Guy Fane. He is a monster who will stop at nothing to gain his own ends. She shuddered convincingly. Still, I do not understand, Luke said gently. Guy Fane is planning some monumental crime against Sybil, the woman whispered tensely. Just what it is, I can only surmise. But my barest imaginings of it are so horrible that I dare not put them into words. It is against her immortal soul that he is plotting, Mr. Porter. What use he wishes to make of an innocent girl, I cannot, dare not think. But she must be saved, she must. If there is anything I can do, Luke began vaguely, when Alden seized his arm convulsively between her nervous working fingers. Listen, she remained in apprehensive silence for a long moment. Then she drew Luke toward the inner wall of his room. Lock your door. Now, please follow me in absolute silence. I'm going to take you through a secret passage into Miss Fane's room and hide you behind the tapestry so that you can understand something. Her finger went to her lips again in warning. 
she took a pocket flash from her apron and turned it on. Lifting one heavy hanging, she motioned Luke to follow. He did so, feeling as if he were in a strange dream. She pushed something somewhere in the wall. A part of what had seemed solid stone swung slowly away on a central pivot. Into the opening thus discovered, she stepped with beckoning finger. The artist walked behind her closely. Through a short passage, and then she once more hunted for and found some secret spring which swung back a smaller stone like a window. Again, that warning for silence. Then she took Luke's hand in hers, pushed it through the window, until he touched a swinging heavy material which he realized was a tapestry hanging similar to those in his own room. As he made the discovery, he heard voices again, and strained against the small opening to hear them better, at a gesture from the woman who then shut off the flashlight. Through the chinks in the woven stuff came glints of light. Luke was impatient now to see, and as if she had divined his wish, Alden whispered cautiously that if he had a penknife, he might be able to cut out a small piece of the tapestry. The artist took the suggestion, and after a minute's awkward attempt succeeded, and his eye went to the small opening. He was looking into a charming boudoir, furnished in modern French fashion with pale blues and pinks, and lighted by a brilliant chandelier of crystal drops. On a bed opposite, a girl was sleeping deeply, a girl whose fair, blonde loveliness stirred the artist's soul, and made his fingers itch to depict her on canvas. On either side of the sleeper's bed stood a figure, and either was ominous to a terrifying degree. One was short, squat, ungainly, draped from head to foot in swathing folds of somber black, so thick as to conceal effectually whatever was beneath them. Not even the face of this individual showed under the double thicknesses of black chiffon that left only the flashing of dark eyes to be glimpsed occasionally. She sleeps, came the thick folds of the veil, in a voice singularly rich and melodious. Yet for a moment I thought she was only feigning sleep. My fearful imagination, but she sleeps soundly. The opiate never fails to do its work. The second being, a woman, tall, black-garbed, bent over the sleeping girl. Snow-white hair was piled above a face of singular but repelling pride and much devastated beauty. Mingled in that speaking countenance were the traces of battling emotions that must have been going on in her soul for years to have altered her face so terribly. Now across it writhed in sequence fury and reluctance, hate, and a kind of disdainful pity. The man had been watching her attentively, for his voice issued now from the swathing folds of black. "'My dear mother, is it possible that you are considering withdrawal at this late moment? Now, when all lies ready to my hand, when the final act of this stupendous drama is ready to be played out, when he has promised to grant my prayers, impossible!' I cannot look upon so much innocence and purity without experiencing something of remorse at the part I must play, cried the dark woman. I am not withdrawing, Guy, but she is so beautiful, so unsuspecting, so... Oh, yes, I grant you all this, my dear mother. It is very tender and womanlike for you to feel such sympathy for her. But what about me? Terribly. Do you not owe me some reparation for what you have done to me? I, who am what your deliberate desire for revenge upon a husband's infidelities made me, 
a thing so utterly horrible that I dare not look at my hideous mockery of a face, lest I perish at my own temerity, my flesh creeping at the revolting and grisly monster that would confront me in my mirror. Enough, Guy, enough! The mother wrung her attenuated hands. Oh, your revenge upon my father was complete, my dear mother. Yet the worst part of it fell upon me, who was innocent of any wrong. My forbidding deformities have served your purpose. Now you must expiate your crime against me. You must pay, mother. You must pay. She pressed both hands to her wrinkled cheeks. I never dreamed what it would mean to you, she pleaded. Forgive, forgive you. Perhaps I may find it in my heart if there is a human heart within this unsightly, monstrous mass of flesh to forgive you when the final act of the drama has been played out. Oh, when I have gained the grace and comeliness of which your revengeful hate robbed me. Perhaps I may forgive you then, she held her outstretched hands toward him pleadingly. Have I rebelled, Guy? Have I not put myself utterly in your hands, even to the extent of endangering my mortal soul? wailed she as if in agony. Your soul endangered, my dear mother, the man laughed a short, sneering laugh. You should have considered your soul, and mine, dear mother, mine, long ago when you prepared Lucifer's chapel, and frequented it during those months before my hateful birth, thinking only of your unspeakable revenge upon my father. You had your wish. You drove him away in horror at the sight of the monstrous prodigy that would be his heir. Now I must have my wish. It is only to undo what you did, sweet mother, in mocking tones. I sometimes wonder if a demon inhabits your frame, Guy. The squat individual chuckled horribly. Perhaps it is so, dear mother. Who can tell? But my wish is so modest. I only ask that the exquisite loveliness reposing on this couch deliver up to me some of its charm. And with generosity I am willing. Anxious to give all, all my own ugliness, all my forbidding deformity in exchange. But you told me you would use the man, hesitated the woman. The short figure gave a shrug of its shoulders. I tried to see him in the searchlight, but I couldn't tell whether or not he had the physique, the features that would interest me more than these, motioning toward the girl. It is the more subtle way to take them from him and wreck her soul. Afterwards, he observed thoughtfully. Well, tomorrow I must see him and decide. Guy, spare her soul. Let it be a stranger, not this poor child. I tell you I am afraid. She is too pure, too innocent. The very stars in their courses will fight for her. And is not her purity, her innocence, what make her more acceptable to him? Ah! and he lifted black-swathed arms above the sleeping girl in terrible invocation. Lucifer, son of the morning, only thou canst understand how great is my impatience at the delay of these last preparations that will make the sacrifice acceptable unto thee. I tell you, mother, not until this girl sees her purity and loveliness turning into ugliness, her innocence of thought replaced by the lowest, vilest passions that can enter the human mind. Not until then will Lucifer exult in the sacrifice. There you err, wretched boy, cried out the mother passionately. Her beauty may pass, but her soul is in a higher keeping. 
I have made no mistakes, my mother. Her soul will yet be Lucifer's. He who has been instructed by a prince of the fallen hosts of heaven cannot err. But don't you see that because he is a prince of darkness, he has failed to take into his calculations the power of light? Guy, Guy, beware of putting over much trust in Lucifer. He only seeks to draw you to himself, not to exalt. It is your mother, your wretched mother, who warns you. Your mother who has paid ten thousand times in agony and tears for her crime against her unborn son. The veiled figure made the travesty of a cross by folding its arms and resting its hands upon its own shoulders. Then the head bent upon the folded arms, while a mocking, ironical laugh issued softly from the folds of the veil. You don't believe yet, do you, mother? Well, you shall, in spite of what you have already experienced. What you have seen with your own eyes. You remain incredulous? You persist in your skepticism? Oh, he cried out with strange passion. Do not dare tell me that you do not believe. Your words unnerve me. I almost feel as if there were some powerful influence near this sleeping girl, some influence mutely but strongly battling against me. To the chapel! To the chapel! He moved rapidly to the woman's side and urged her toward the door. Not tonight, Guy. I cannot bear it again so soon. I am not a young woman. You are fearless, but I am unutterably afraid. Not tonight, I implore you. To the chapel! cried the man's mellifluous voice inexorably. I will sacrifice a pair of doves, or a young lamb. You must be convinced, or you cannot help me, and I must not fail. I would rather die than fail. The reluctant woman moved slowly toward the door, followed by the squat figure of the strange being in its black wrappings. The door of Sybil Fane's room swung to behind those ill-omened figures. As it closed, Alden's hand plucked nervously at Luke Porter's sleeve. Mr. Porter, we must get back to your room at once. You're supposed to be asleep, and if the master should happen to visit your room... She left the sentence unfinished. You go ahead. You know the way, whispered Luke, irritated at the inference unspoken. He wanted to take one last look at the sleeping beauty in the great antique bed, but the light in the room had been extinguished, and there only remained to follow Alden back through the narrow winding of the secret passage. Back in his room... Alden let the tapestry drop over the hidden door and turned to the young man, heavy eyes burning in her wrinkled face. "'I cannot tell the whole story now,' she said hurriedly. "'If you promise you will not leave here without making an attempt to rescue Sybil, I will try to see you before too many days have passed, and then I will tell you the secrets that I have learned and the secret that I know I only.' That girl is certainly in bad hands, judging from the conversation we have just overheard, Luke decided. Alden, I am with you. If she needs me, I am at Miss Fane's service. She doesn't know yet what danger she is in, Alden pointed out. So far she has had the kindest treatment, and has been indulged in every way, except that she has been told she cannot leave the castle until after she is married. Then she has never been outside these walls? asked the artist, astonished. She has read about the world in carefully censored books, but she has been taught that a girl does not emerge from such seclusion as this until she marries, and there is yet another thing. Well, prompted Luke. Mr. Porter, she believes that any day her future husband may appear in Fainwald. 
She is registered to fall in love with the first good-looking man who comes here. Why that should please the master, I do not know, but I am sure that he intends you to be Sybil's suitor. It might be worse, murmured Luke, thinking of the flower-like loveliness of that sleeping beauty. Well, Alden, cheer up. When I get a better understanding of the situation, you may rely upon me to do my best for Miss Fane. She is too charming a girl to be left to the tender mercies of such a man as this Guy Fane seems to be, judging from what I've heard tonight. Sometime you will know how deeply I appreciate your kindness, Mr. Porter. Sometime, when you know my secret, murmured the woman. Until then, I beg one thing only. Do not trust the master. She unlocked the hall door, listened for a moment, then opened it quietly and slipped out into the light of the flickering candles. End of chapter 3